Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night then and go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that when they did go with him, and then they did go with him and entered his house, he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the man inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of his house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord is against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the man grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful with him. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Do not look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. This is the reading of the Bible this morning.
May God give us the grace to understand. I bring to you the message from this portion of the Word of God, Genesis chapter 19, under the heading, Hesitant Obedience, with a subheading, Divided Loyalty and its Consequence. Hesitant Obedience, Divided Loyalty and its Consequence. My dear friends in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Church of Christ all through the ages has been plagued with non-committed Christians. The Bible calls this sickness, which has been crippling the work of the Church for too long, worldliness. John's first pastoral letter, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, he writes this, Do not love the world nor the things of this world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father but from this world the world is passing away and so also lusts but the one who does the will of God lives forever find it amazing that in the opening book of the Bible, not many chapters apart from one another is recorded two major catastrophic events to demonstrate God's justice, but also His mercy. The first was the fall. And the Lord used Noah, the preacher of righteousness, to with patience build the ark, and be a preacher with each hammer blow to the people around them. And they did not repent, the Bible tells us, and the flood came and they were destroyed. Then there was the other event, the event we read about this morning in chapter 19 of Genesis. There was once again a gracious God who used Abraham to intercede for the city, a gracious God who gave a chance to the people who lived there, and also to Lot and his family. And God eventually destroyed the city because his justice and his holiness demanded it. We look at Lot's life, and we see that the Bible itself and the reading of Second Peter, as we read it this morning, calls Lot a righteous man. Perhaps we think that Lot was an evil man, just as the people in the city, or maybe as evil as his wife and his daughters were. Perhaps you thought that the filth of the city around Lot rubbed off on him. But the Bible tells us otherwise. He was a righteous man, we read. Abraham, like Abraham who believed God so that his faith was accredited to him as righteousness, so was Lot's righteousness. He saw, the Bible says, and heard the evil around him, yet he was not wicked himself. He knew the grace of God and the holiness of God. 
That's why it is stated in the scriptures that his soul was distressed by the lives of the lawless men and his soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. He was wounded, grieved and hurt in the sight of the sin around him. Yet he did not become lukewarm about sin. Lot, a righteous man. Although Lot was saved by grace, he had divided loyalty. Unlike his uncle Abraham, who chose the stony ridges of Canaan above the fertile soil, uh, soil plains of Sodom, to see the blessings and the promises of God come to fruition without the temporal blessings of this world, Lot then went for the pleasurable. He probably started off in the fields of the plains, camping there away from the evil cities. But in the chapter of our reading, we find him as part of the city, most probably a sort of a leader, someone sitting at the gate of the city, uh, a place usually referred to as a place of justice. But the fact that he was there on his own was probably an indication that the law and order of the city went out the back door that there was no one to care but the righteous man of God trying to be there for the city and those who were troubled. But as we said, Lot's, Lot had a divided loyalty. It is a great sin to be more gracious than God. I want to repeat this because it is, it is it's important. It is a great sin to be more gracious than God. It is wrong and a misunderstanding of our day when people want to be more loving than God. Because if we are more loving than God, and if we are more gracious than God himself would be, as he explained in his holiness and in his, and his judgment, we, we will be led to compromises and eventually it leads to the disgrace in the name of God. Law saw the abominations of Lot saw the abominations of the city, and he was distressed by it, and his soul was tormented by the sinfulness and the lawful lawlessness of the people. Yet he had an address in that city. He lived there. He allowed his daughters to be engaged to be married to citizens of that city. There was something wrong in which Lot understood his task as a righteous man of God in a godless world. He did not love it, yet he was part of it. When the angels informed him of God's fearful imminent judgment which rested on the city, even the next day, Lot still wavered and hesitated. He knew that God is faithful to his word and that he always does as he says. Judgment would come the next morning early. And Lot still hesitated. When Lot heard about the danger, he actually went to his sons-in-law who would soon be married, marrying his daughters to warn them. It was probably very late that night or even between the hours of midnight and dawn that Lot had to go and warn his sons-in-law. And the angels of God urged him then to take his wife and his daughters and run for their lives or be swept away, the Bible says. And yet, when it was time for him to leave, Lot hesitated. 
He was slow when he was supposed to be quick. It was almost as if he was in two minds. It was almost incredible, almost too wonderful to be believed. There was a highly nervous atmosphere in the city as Lot rushed from one place to the other. There was this episode of the lustful man at his door who threatened to kill him. If you want to talk about a, a, a uh, we like to call these days, we, 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 we talk about trauma. If you, if you ever like to think about a traumatic situation, it was a situation Lot was in. He faced these men, driven by the evil of the devil himself, who wanted to kill him, pushing against the door of his house, wanting to push it down. Can you just imagine what it might, must have gone through his mind? Then he was rescued by the angels, pulled in the door. The door was shut and they were then, then struck with blindness. And in the process, the angels said to him, Lot, go and get your wife. Go and get your daughters. Go and warn the people. Lot, this place is going to be destroyed. And in the darkness of the night, this is what Lot did. And yet, when all was done, almost when the red dawn of the day of the destruction has come, Lot hesitated. God does not call us to pack up and leave this planet. He wants us to live in this world, but he does not want us to be part of it. But the term worldliness describes a Christian like Lot, who was saved by grace from the destruction that rests upon the world, and yet still loved the world. Such Christians find themselves in churches on Sundays, Loving sound doctrine, singing spiritual songs and hymns, reading the Bible and loving it. They are grieved by the sins of the world like Lot and yet hesitate to turn their backs on the world. Yes, I would like to think that all of us today here believe in heaven. Do as long do we long to be there? We believe in hell. But it seems that we've forgotten about the fear of its unquenchable fire. We love the Lord Jesus. But we hardly do anything for him. We believe in the Bible as the word of God. How much... Do you read it? How much of it do you know? How much of it do you apply? We know the time is short, but we live as if there is no eternity. We know of the spiritual battle between light and darkness, and still we live at peace with this world. We know of the race of every Christian and that we should be running in the race to win the prize. And yet we find ourselves on the pavilions enjoying to see others straining themselves. We know Jesus is both Savior and Judge who is about to return but we live as if it's never going to happen. 
just like Lot. Let's look at ourselves. Is it possible that we excuse ourselves from living a holy, dedicated life to the Lord just because we think, oh, well, I'll never get there in any case. It's too high for me. Perhaps we've adopted this thing that we say, well, we need a balance in life. Look, let's put it bluntly and very straightforward. There is no such a thing as a balance between your service of God and a love for this world. It's either the love of God or the love of the world. This is just blazing worldliness. It cripples your spiritual life and hinders your growth in grace. And be quite certain about it. If we live like this, we're not of use to the church. And the world doesn't want us either. The Lord declares in Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. What? I will spit you out of my mouth. Grateful words. What a charge. People, people living like this have to compromise somewhere. J.C. Ryle says people like this spend their lives in trying to make the gate more wide and the cross more light. But they never succeed. They always try to keep up with the world, are constantly laboring to persuade themselves that to mix a little with worldly people and their own could, uh, could give them good ground. It is obvious that the Christian living like this will have to think less of the horror of sin and therefore in the same time Think less of godliness. What the consequences? Lot was a righteous man who loved the Lord. In the New Testament terms, we can say that he was saved by grace and justified by faith. He was a child of God. He could look forward to a sure place in heaven. This was true because God's grace was upon him to rescue him from the city which was destroyed by fire. Lot was not among those who, were, who perished yet. So you might say, what's the big deal? Why should we not stop here? Well, that might be the case. But what about sanctification? 
What about growing in grace and what about usefulness and fruitfulness of the kingdom of God? <clears throat> no one will go to heaven because of the quantity of the fruit he or she bears, if, uh, if, as if that could be an addition to the righteousness of Christ. But the Bible is clear about the growing of the seed which is sown on the land. It speaks about the multiplying of the talents entrusted to us. It speaks about the branches not bearing fruit and then being chopped off. That's the point. Lot's divided loyalty as a righteous man who chose to stay and hesitated to run had no effect on the people around him. They took him for a foreigner. As a judge, shut up, Lot, who do you think you are? He ran to his sons-in-law and he tried to persuade them, hurry, the city will be destroyed by fire. They thought it was a joke. They couldn't take Lot seriously. Lot was dragged out of the city at the day of judgment as a piece of burning wood. His, his wife did not make it because of her unbelief. And not even his sons-in-law saw something of value in his testimony. As a sad matter of fact, his own daughters did not follow the faith of their father. When he was rescued from Sodom, Lot almost disappeared from the scene. Of him was nothing more said, apart from the fact that he was seduced by his own daughters to have children by them. Their descendants became known as Moab, which tormented Israel endlessly. We don't know when he died and where he was buried. Lot a righteous man who was tormented by sin left no evidence that he had an impact on the sinful city of which he was a citizen. My dear friend of the Lord, I want to challenge you in the Lord today to turn your back on this world. You cannot live with divided loyalty. You cannot live in compromise. And you would not if you knew the joy and the fruitfulness of the Lord in and in the Lord. You would not want to compromise. You would want to have an impact on the world around you. You would want to see your children and grandchildren take you serious when you talk, when you then take God seriously. You would want to see someone in heaven one day who would thank you for standing your ground as a Christian without compromise. And that person re respected your testimony, believed your witness, and followed your example by coming to God in search for forgiveness. May God give us the grace 
not to be satisfied with fruitless faith. May He stir us to love Him more and more, to love His Word and His work more and more, to press on more and more, to spend and be spent. I just want to read the final paragraph that I read earlier this morning. If you do get a copy of this book, I want to make a bargain with you today. It's J.C. Ryle's the author, Titleist Holiness. I don't know how much it costs, something like $20 or $30, I'm not so sure. I want to make a bargain with you today. Get yourself a copy of this book. And if your life is not changed after reading this book, I'll pay you the price of this book back. And I'm, I'm dead serious about this. I'm dead serious about this. If, it's gonna, if, if this is going to be a waste for you, that's okay. I'll give you the money for it back. You'll have to spend some time. It's only 400 pages to read, but... It's, it's good stuff. J.C. Ryle writes in 1879. 1879. <clears throat> I believe we fall far short of Christians of years ago in our standard of Christian practice. Where is the self-denial, the redemption of time, the absence of luxury and self-indulgence, the unmistakable separation from earthly things, the manifest air of being always about the master's business, the singleness of I, the simplicity of home life, the high tone of conversation and society, the patience, the humility, the universal courtesy which marked so many of our forerunners 70 or 80 years ago. Yes, where is it indeed? We've inherited their principles and we wear their armor, but I fear we have not inherited their practice. The Holy Spirit sees it and is grieved. And the world sees it and despises us. The world sees it and cares little for our testimony. It is life, a Christ-like life, which uh, depends on it, which influences this world. Let us resolve by God's blessing to shake off this reproach. Let us awake to, clear, to a clear view of what the times require of us in this matter. Let us aim to be a much higher, to aim at a much higher standard of practice. Let the time past suffice us to have been content with an half and half holiness. For the time to come, let us endeavor to walk with God, to be thorough and unmistakable in our daily life, and to silence we cannot convert. A sneering world.
may God give us the grace. Let us pray. Our Lord, we find ourselves in Sodom. We've become so content. Although we are sometimes disturbed by what's going around us. We have no impact. We have no witness. Our life is fruitless. Help us to not be satisfied with that. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not die on the cross only for us to be dragged out of a smoldering city like a burning stump of wood. You want us to be conquerors, even more than conquerors. Amen.